You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. Well, that was a surprise to me. And uh, thank you, Troy and Wendy, if you're watching, and uh, David. Um, uh, He's always been pulling the rug out from under me at times and surprising me. Uh, But um, I'm honored. I'm so honored today. Uh, I just want you to know that uh, as we come to this last season of the year, if you're a guest or you're a visitor with us this last series of the year, it is officially my last series as the lead pastor or as a full-time pastor of this church. I'm now the founding pastor of this church. All that means is I'm getting old and uh, uh, I'm not going uh, to be uh, leaving the community or leaving the church, but uh, I've officially passed the baton on to David Kennard. And after that, I'm going to take it back. No, I'm not. Uh, But uh, Troy and Wendy Peterson, many of you probably don't know them. They were my first hire. Troy, I hired him to be the student, the youth pastor back then we called him. And um, and uh, what's hilarious, now this is hilarious, uh, I used to lead worship. That's hilarious in and of itself. In and of itself, that's hilarious, okay? This is when the church is small. You do what you have to do, right? Whenever you're just getting started. And uh, uh, Troy and Wendy came on to be youth pastors. Yeah, that was the job he applied for. We hired him. After the first Sunday, he kind of just came up to me in a real sort of gentle way said, um, would, would you like me to uh, try to lead worship? And I said, sure, go right ahead. He nev- I never led worship again. Uh, the guy is the most phenomenal singer, worship leader, and has gone on to bigger and better things after he left us. But uh, uh, what great people, what great friends that, that we have built over the years. It was 32 years ago this day Uh, November 29th, that it was our first Sunday when we came to Penn Hills to plant this church. There had been a group meeting for a couple years, got started by a pastor doing it part-time just to get it started, Uh, but uh, he had left, and then they had dwindled over several months, and for some crazy reason, uh, Teresa and I felt led to come and give this thing a try. Um, They had been meeting in a little fellowship room of the Masonic Hall on Salzburg Road in Penn Hills, if you know where that is. Um, We had been serving for eight years in State College, Pennsylvania, which, uh, you know, out of college, out of seminary, went there, youth pastors, associate pastors, the first hire on that staff. The church just exploded over those years that we were there, not because of us, but because it was just a move of God that was there. And uh, we were... Uh, associate pastors there. My student ministry grew to over 100 people in that time period. The church grew from 200 to 700 people in the first couple years there. And it was just a move of God that was happening at that time. Penn State won two national championships during the season that we were there. I have to say that. So all's going well. And uh, after eight years, we just felt the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, you've been Every time a missionary comes, you, you cry. Every time a missionary comes and speaks, you, your heart starts to beat. And so we were praying, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to go? And through a series of events, we ended up coming to Penn Hills 
to try to do what was called home missions back then. And church planting, it's called today. Now, church planting today is a whole lot different than it was back then. Let's, let's be real. Today, somebody starts a church. They have already raised their financial backing. They already have a team of people that they've recruited. They get a big website, a real professional website. They have social media. Back then, the internet wasn't even heard of. Back then, we didn't have any advertising. We had no financial backing. We had no seed money. We had no mother church sponsoring us. It was a group of disgruntled people coming from some of the other churches, like David's mighty men, you know, that just were mad at everybody else and decided to start their own thing. So that brings with it. There were great people. There were some that were were there without, you know, but you know, you get what you, you start with what you have. And so the bottom line is, our, our only advertising was the penny saver. Anybody remember the penny saver? We had just a two-line two or three-line ad in the penny saver. Ricky Pace's parents were there that first Sunday. Gigi and Ergie. Dear people lived across the street. We were convenient, so they came. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, and, and dear, dear people that just helped us to uh, just create the most loving and warm and wonderful atmosphere. And, you know, we thought, hey, things went so easy for us up there. They're going to go great here. And it just went nowhere fast. We started that first year. The first, I look back on records. Uh, in January, we came in November. In January, I looked at our records for that first year. Our average attendance was 30 people. A year later, our average attendance was 31 people. And I'm thinking, God, what did I do? So with that comes all kinds of self-doubt, all kinds of, did I miss your will? Did I uh, make a big mistake? Uh, am I not as, as good as I thought I was? And obviously I wasn't. Um, and, um, you know, I doubted myself. I doubted my decision. I doubted God's will. We weren't able to pay our bills. We couldn't make the ends meet. We were depending on handouts from parents and others to be able to survive. And, and uh, Robert Owen, my pastor, my mentor, the person who was I, my, I came to Christ under, would, you know, every once in a while give me a pep talk. And he would say, you know, Bill, just stick it out. Just stick it out. And then these words he said to me, and this is one of the reasons why the title of the series is the way it is. He said, just bless the people. He said, just bless the people that are there. Just be yourself. Just bless the people and they will come. And so we tried to do that. And, um, and some people felt blessed and they stayed. And over time, other people felt blessed to leave. <laughs> so... My words are, I will bless you one way or the other. I'll bless you when you come, or you'll be blessed to go somewhere else over time. And that's okay, because I just want to bless you. And, and, uh, and that's how it works. Um, but over time, those who remain just built a core, and they worked together, and they created this wonderful, welcoming environment and this loving community of faith. And after a year and a half, we, we were able to to meet in a little Lutheran church up on Hamill Road, and that kind of gave us a little more legitimacy, and we were able to put a sign out for the first time, and, 
and people started to come and we're able to build a core. And then five years later, this building in Oakmont became available and we were able to move here in 95. And, and, and really after that, the rest was history. Um, and the church has just grown slowly and steadily over the years. And we are so blessed. I am so blessed to be here. I'm so fortunate to be here. And, you know, these days people are asking me, well, how are you feeling about retirement? Um, and, you know, it's a bittersweet thing, to be honest with you, but it's, but it's more sweet than bitter. Um, you know, on the, on the one hand, it's sweet because I'm not fully retiring. I do have uh, uh, a coaching uh, leadership, executive coaching practice that I'm doing on the side. I'll be able to give a little more focus to that. Um, um, and I'm allowing myself to be able to uh, have a weekend. I don't know if you realize this, and many other people have this kind of situation too, but pastors don't have weekends, especially when their spouses are working. My Teresa was uh, a full-time teacher, so uh, she worked full-time during the week. Ministry is not just something you do on Sundays. It's something that is an all-consuming thing. And so on the weekends, we couldn't just go go travel and do whatever we wanted. In fact, I could not be here today if I didn't have her. That woman sacrificed over and over and over again to make this church happen. She was there on those Sunday mornings when I'm leading worship. I was married to her for 10 years, and I never knew she could play the piano. But when we came here, guess who started playing the piano? <laughs> and she never heard me lead worship either. But I, I take it back. I did a little bit in state college. But, 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 uh, and then she would be done teaching, and then she would run back into the little kitchen area and take the kids and teach the kids. And at the end of the service, she would run back in and play the piano. And she's done that for years and years and years. And, but, um, so those memories are sweet. Um, but now we can have weekends, and now we can go visit our kids, and now we can be able to have some freedom. It's sweet also that we're still remaining in the community. We're still going to be a part of the church. We're still going to worship here. We're still going to have Riverside as our home and as needed, and I'll be, I'll be glad to serve in, in, in a variety of ways here on a volunteer basis. So I, I'm looking forward to that. It's sweet in the fact that I had somebody like David Kennard that I could pass the baton to. And what a great leader, what a quality person David and Amy are, and we have such a wonderful staff. The only bitter part is I love this. I still love it. I still uh, uh, just feel that God has a calling in my life that, that's not going to go away. Um, but, you know, and, and, and it's, I've not been the kind of person that for many have been counting down the years till they retire or counting down the days or the months and days. and No, I've, I'm not, I, I love what I do. And so that makes it a little bitter because I'm not leaving something that I'm glad to let go of. Does that make sense to you? Do you understand that? So it's bittersweet, people ask me that. Um, so here it is for my last few messages here um, in this last series of the year. Um, a year like none other, um, as hard as it was, Back then, uh, this season has to be one of the hardest years of ministry that any pastor, any leader, not just pastors, leaders, business owners, anybody uh, has gone through. Um, I want us to step back, though, and I want us to just 
consider the good. I want us to be blessed. And we do have so much to be thankful for. And so let's count our blessings by focusing on some of the wonderful, wonderful passages of Scripture, the benedictions or prayers in Scripture. And today, we want to look at Paul's letter to the Colossians in chapter 1, if you have your Bible there. I just want to begin by reading a little bit. We'll highlight some of the Scriptures in this. But uh, let me just start at the beginning. He says, in this letter, or this letter is from Paul. He's writing and saying, and I'm chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and from our brother Timothy. So Paul and Timothy are there together and they are composing this letter to the church in Colossae. We're writing to God's holy people in the city of Colossae who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. There's the first blessing right there. We pray that you will have grace and peace. And then he goes on, he says, we always pray for you when we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and your love for all of God's people. This love of God's people come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you now is going out all over the world, bearing fruit by everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from this day, from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. You learned about the good news from Epaphras, our beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So the context here, Paul is writing to this church that was founded by Epaphras. Who's Epaphras? Epaphras was a disciple of Paul's when Epaphras was living in Ephesus. Epaphras uh, and Ephesus is where Timothy was from. So that's where like this big church, this not big church, but the church really grew and took root in Ephesus when Paul founded the church there. But Epaphras went back to his hometown of Colossae. So we don't know if Paul ever went to Colossae. I don't know if he ever was there. But this is a church that came out of the church that, that Paul founded in Ephesus, that Colossae, that, that Epaphras, who was, uh, came to Christ in Ephesus, began. So here's the three wishes. Today we're going to talk about three wishes. There are many that can come from this passage. I just want to focus on three. Beginning in verse 9, this is what Paul writes. He says, so we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. And we ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. God's wish for you and for me, number one, is that we would have a godly perspective. A godly perspective, not a worldly perspective, not a selfish perspective, a godly perspective. Because I think perspective, and the scripture obviously bears this out, is so important. Your perspective means everything. 
You can't choose what happens to you, you've heard it said, but you can choose the way you look at what happens to you. We can't choose this pandemic. We can't choose what we're going through right now. But our perspective about it really makes all the difference in the world. Would you agree with that? And I think we need an attitude check, a perspective check. Can we do that for a little bit this morning? Because here's the thing. When you're feeling overwhelmed, as many of us are, and probably all of us are in some degree, uh, when life doesn't make sense to you, when your vantage point just doesn't seem to fit reality, when you're feeling uncertain or unloved, um, when you're insecure or incapable, when you're angry or afraid, would you just pause and ask the question, God, how do you see this? God, what is your perspective on this? How do you want me to think about this? How should I react to this situation? Because here's the thought. Perspective is the thermostat of your heart. Perspective is what will make your emotions rise or fall. You can be sad or happy, angry or elated, fearful or hopeful, depending upon your perspective. And in almost every case, if you shift your perspective, your attitude and your emotions will follow. Somebody said that your perspective will either be your prison or your passport. And if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at will also change. So I wanted you to just kind of look at Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter. What was his perspective when he was writing to the Colossians? Well, first of all, he's writing from a time of imprisonment. So number one, he's socially distanced from people. Number two, he's quarantined from the outside world. Number three, he's uncertain of his future, of what was before him. But what is his perspective? He says, wow, I have an opportunity now to do some things. I'm going to write some letters. I'm going to look back at the places that I've been and the people that I have touched, and I'm going to write some letters. And so we have what is known as the prison epistles, which is... Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. Four of the, of the, of the chapters or of the books of the, of, the, of the Christian scriptures were written when he was in a place of socially distanced and quarantined and fear and a place of fear. And look at how that has affected people down through the centuries. And here's the thing. They are some of the most positive joyful, encouraging, and instructive letters that we have in Scripture. That's what I call a good perspective. Would you agree with me? Don't you think so? He's reflective. He's looking back on his travels. He's, he could be feeling sorry for himself. He could be angry at the government for the injustice that he's experiencing. He could be afraid of what could happen if the hearing that he's waiting for goes badly. But no, he takes advantage of that opportunity. I just want to talk about, for me, and maybe I think for all of us, some of the things that help me gain a better perspective. Number one is Scripture. Scripture gives me a godly perspective. 
If you remember James, uh, Jesus' brother of the church, when he wrote his uh, first epistle, uh, the church was going through horrendous persecution and terrible times. And he writes to them, and James tries to shift their perspective. He says, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And so let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know you will never be mature if you don't go through tough times. You will never be complete. You will never be fully developed if you don't experience difficulty and take, uh, go through some, some, some deep waters and so we might get mad at God because this pandemic is happening or mad at the devil that caused it to happen or mad at China or mad at the government or mad at whoever you want to be mad at, go ahead and be mad at. But what's that doing for you? How's that working for you? Last week I was up at the mills speaking and uh, Mary Ecker, one of, uh, one of the people up there, had a conversation with me ahead of time. And like most conversations, I usually start with, how are you holding up? How are you doing? And she was very positive, And we're just kind of commiserating about the state of the affairs of the pandemic and the divisiveness and all of that. And, and uh, she said something that just like jumped right out at me. She said to me, she said, yeah, we're all being tested, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah, how am I passing that test? Is this test helping me to grow, to learn, to be smarter, to be wiser, to be more compassionate, to be more understanding? Or is it making me more bitter, more angry, more defensive, more whatever? We're all being tested. And James says, you know, these trials, they can work God's will in you. So, so we're all being tested. I mean, from, from an earthly perspective, I look at last week and Thanksgiving, and I can feel sad and sorry that I didn't get to be with my family. And yeah, I'm not happy about that, nor, is, nor are you or others. But from a godly perspective, you know, we can look at the people that were working that day to help keep people alive that are battling this, this virus. We can look at the people that are out there helping others and going on and on. And so I love <coughs> what Fred Rogers said when he was looking at all the scary things his mother would say to him, honey, look for the helpers. When you see sad things, when you see hard things, look for the helpers. That just changes your perspective. It changes what, 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 how you feel about things. So, so really, um, Scripture just meditating on Scripture, seeing how these characters in the Bible experienced life and difficulty and responded, some for good, some for bad. And that gets to the second thing that helps me, I think, gain a better perspective. And, and really, that's an appreciation of history. An appreciation of history. And, and not just history in, in, in the world, but my own lived history, learning from my own experience. And when the church was so small and when the church was going nowhere and I would have other peers that were kind of in the same boat as me, planting other churches and 
One of the people, one of my friends, uh, Pete Giacoloni, planted a church over in the South Hills several years earlier than I did. And he said to me, he said, Bill, you know what? Don't despise the day of small things because you will realize how valuable every person who walks through those doors are. And I thought, you know, if I didn't have to have that experience, I, I probably wouldn't have the kind of appreciation that I gained for knowing that when people choose a church and they choose to become, you know, they are so valuable to the community and to the body of Christ and to God's will and God's plan. And you know, when I start to think that we're living in the worst of times, I only have to remember history, right? Even with this pandemic, um, there, there are kind of two extremes, And one is, oh, it's just a flu. People die every year of the flu. It's just affecting old people. The other is, it's going to get everybody. We're all going to die from this. So those are two extreme viewpoints. And I think of history. Well, you know, we went through a pandemic years ago that was just the flu, but it was the Spanish flu. Over 700,000 Americans died in the Spanish flu. So we we need to take this seriously, right? In fact, it said that that was during the time of World War I, and the Spanish flu affected younger people as well as older people, and we're seeing even today younger people may be affected by this. But, But more soldiers, more U.S. soldiers died from the flu than died in World War I in battle that was going on at that time. So... It's a serious thing, even if it's just flu. So we need to take it seriously. But again, looking back at history, we realize it passed eventually. And so I take hope in knowing that this too shall pass at some point. And so I want to persevere. I want to be safe. I want to be wise and wear my mask. And I'm thankful for those of you that come and wear your mask. And if you're wondering if we're safe, if you're watching online, we are socially distanced and doing what we can here. We don't want to be flippant about that, but we still want to worship together. But on the other hand, um, we realize that, that, that we have a choice right now. We can be miserable because we haven't had our normal Thanksgiving and we probably won't have a normal Christmas. And... Uh, or we can be hopeful that by Easter time, if the vaccine gets out there and enough people take it, that we can have a full church at Easter again. So I'm going to start letting my perspective look toward Easter. And, you know, if we have to change the plans then, we change the plans. But it's going to pass if we all just stay faithful and move. And, yeah, we'll grieve the people that we know that we've lost. Appreciation of history regarding race relations. It is sad that we still have so much to learn regarding race relations. But looking back at history, this has been an ongoing thing and we've come a long way. Yes, we have a long way to go, but we've moved forward in the past. We can keep moving forward. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And so I'm hopeful that we are learning, even as we evolve as a nation, that all people are created equal and all people have the same freedoms and rights. Regarding the state of the church, man, you look back at the history of the church, 
it has survived a lot of garbage, right? I mean, come on, the church split back in the, I think, uh, 12th century or, or 9th, 10th, 11th century. We think of uh, the Reformation. We think of the Inquisitions. We think of uh, the witch trials. We think of all the corruption and civil wars and uncivil wars and all the crazy things. And you know what? God has always had a remnant of people. God has always had a people that are looking to Jesus as their leader and their guide. And the church will march on in spite of its foibles and its weaknesses. And I'm hopeful for that. So I get a perspective by, by my understanding and appreciation of history. And one other thing about gaining perspective is having a listening ear. Having a listening ear. Listening to those who are older than me in ministry has done me well. People like Robert Owen. People like Jim Leake, who was my presbyter when we came here to start the church. I love Jim Leake. And uh, people that have gone down the road before me and are down there a little farther have a lot of wisdom to give. And you know, when I was young, I thought I had all the answers. And to be real frank and honest with you, the older I get, the more I think I don't know. But I have a few things that I have learned over the years and ways to see things and people. And, uh, and so those listening to those who are older, but also, also listening to people who think differently than me. And this is the danger that I think we are in today. If you've never watched, and I encourage you, I'm going to, if you've never watched Social Dilemma, it's on Netflix if you have it, I, I think it's a must-see for everybody about how we, one of the reasons why social media has made us so polarized and has fed our, our fears and our, our biases and our feelings and put us into different camps. Um, if you don't listen to people who don't think like you, you will never be different than who you are right now. You will never grow if you don't listen to other points of view. In fact, instead of growing smarter and wiser, you will grow dumber and smaller. And we don't want that to happen. James says, brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everybody should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger doesn't produce the right kind of life that God wants. If the only voices you hear are from your own little tribe, you will never grow. You'll never know what you don't know already. And so this is how I hopefully gain a better perspective by, by scripture, by my understanding and appreciation of history, and by listening to people that are wiser and older than me, and younger than me, and smarter than me, or just different than me, and listening to other points of view, and not just clicking on my own favorite news channel, listening to that other news channel, and saying, there's two sides to this. The truth has to be somewhere in the middle. So what? Godly perspective is so important. Why is it important? Goes on in verse 10, back to Colossians chapter one. This is why it's so important to have a godly perspective. Then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you'll grow as you learn 
to know God better and better. You see, we need to expose ourselves to God and get a godly perspective. As a plant needs exposure to the sun to bear good fruit, we need to expose ourselves to God, to scripture, to history, to others. So here's, here's my wish, God's wish as a godly perspective. My wish for us, for Riverside, is that we will never forget that we exist as a church for those outside of our walls. That we're not just about us. We're not just about here for ourselves. We never lose the godly perspective that we have a mission from God. Of course, we always care for those who are part of our community and provide pastoral care and small groups and community. Uh, but, but, but if we are not caring for those outside of our community, we, what's the purpose of it? In fact, we've asked the question years ago, and this has guided us in so much of what we do and where we invest our money as a church, is the question was, if your church was to disappear, who beside the people that go there would miss it? And if the people in your community don't miss it, you're not doing your job. If the community and the food banks and the meals that we provide and the volunteering and organizations that are not Riverside organizations, but they're doing good works, if we're not helping the community to be a better community, then are we really doing part of what we're supposed to be doing here? And I'm so proud of the way that we have embraced that missional mindset and all the outreaches that we do. All the people down there ringing the bell for Salvation Army. We're not raising money for our church. No, but we're a part of the church doing what the church is called to do by caring for the poor. And so we're going we're gonna to do our job to help people raise funds for Salvation Army. So we, we just do all these things, clothing exchanges, food banks, as I said. So my wish is that we would have a godly perspective. Uh, that's God's wish, and that that perspective would include others outside of our walls. Here's the second thing. We're going to go back to Colossians, and I'm going to hurry through the rest of this message. God's wish number two, coming from verse 11, it says, We also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so that you will have all the endurance and patience that you need. His wish was that they would have and our wish, God's wish for us, is that we would patiently endure. Patiently endure. Patiently endure. There were times back when the church was young that I would drive home, and I, Teresa would, would, would attest to this. I would say to her, honey, if I wasn't the pastor of this church, I wouldn't come to it. <laughs> I'll be honest. It was just not the church that I would go to if I didn't <laughs> if I was the pastor. So those, of us, those who stuck with us, oh, they deserve all the credit in the world. Um, but times when I would feel like giving up, it was scriptures like Hebrews 10 and 11 and 12 that inspired me. Where the writer of the Hebrews says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he's promised. Because we don't belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. I 
I love that passage. And what is faith? It's the confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we don't see. And this is what the ancients were commended for. In chapter 11, you know it goes down through the list of the people of the Hebrew Scriptures that, that persevered, Abel, Enoch, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, David, Samson, others. And then it goes on and says, all these people were still living by faith when they died, yet they didn't receive what was promised, it says. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth, but they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And this is my favorite verse. It says, therefore, God was not ashamed to be called their God, for he had prepared a place for them. And I thought, God, you know, I'm not going to do this for fame, for glory. I'm doing it for you. God, I just want you to be proud of me. I just want you to be proud of me. <clears throat> Longfellow said that sorrow and silence are strong, but patient endurance is godlike. It's godlike. Patient endurance is godlike. When I think of people that are patient and enduring, I, I have to think of Donnie Marsh, Pastor Donnie Marsh. Donnie was my second hire when Troy moved up to be the worship leader. A couple years later, as the church was growing, we moved here to Oakmont, and we saw good, a good step up in our attendance. And I thought, we need my girls at that time now they were three and six when we moved here, just turning three and six. By that time, they were like, uh, uh, I think close to 12. I think Angela was 12 or 13. Uh, so that's how many years went by before we were able to hire Donnie. And I was looking for a youth pastor to be the youth pastor of my daughter. So I was going to be very careful about who we hired. And I made a great, a great uh, decision in hiring Pastor Donnie Marsh. But I think of this guy. Um, so my daughters are turning 37 and 34 now. Uh, so that's how long Donnie's been with us. Um, this kid, he was a kid when he came. Single, just out of college, pining for this cute young girl from Detroit, Shelly Danzak, who is still at school had just lost his father who died when he was in school and uh, was distant from his mother. His parents had divorced when he was younger. He was raised by his father as he grew older. And he, um, for some reason, accepted my offer to come and be with us. And he stayed with us. And Many youth pastors, student ministry pastors, look at it as, I'll do this for a few years and then I'll use it as a stepping stone to go plant a church or take another position or lead a church. This guy has had a calling for students that has never, never waned, a passion for kids. And in student ministry, you've got to think about this. Over the years, you know, we've had people come and go, but we've had people stay for a long time. You get to know. In student ministry, it's like, you know, a college professor. They're there for a few years, and then they're gone. They're with you, and then they're gone. 
And he has never wavered with the next season of kids that came up. He pours as much into them as he did the first group that he did. And he has been patiently enduring in student ministry. And over the years has touched hundreds, I would say, no, thousands of lives of these kids in their most formative years of life with the love of God, the goodness of God. And those are the people that inspire me who are patiently enduring and moving on and on. And he's endured my leadership in all those years and my shortcomings. And, uh, and, and we've all benefited by his godly perspective and his patient endurance. And so here's, here's my wish. God's wish is that we would patiently endure. My wish to that is that we will never tire of helping people find and follow Jesus. May we never tire of helping people find and follow Jesus. God, give us a godly perspective. Help us to patiently endure. And then one more here. He goes on in, in Colossians 1. Paul writes, May you be filled with joy, always thanking the Father. He has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. God's wish is that you will be filled with joyful gratitude. Joyful gratitude. Um, years ago, one of the realtors here in Oakmont was showing a house to somebody and they were asking about church and he could tell, and this is not somebody that comes to Riverside, but just one of the local realtors. And, uh, and they were talking about their faith or something like that. And his words to them were this, because they ended up coming here and telling us this. He said, you might want to visit that happy church down on the corner, <laughs> down by Truby's. I thought, yes. That's what I want to be known as, that happy church. You know, uh, over the years, people ask, so where's your church? And, uh, you know, I said, well, we're in Oakmont. And I'd always say, down by the, you know, Burke Truby Funeral Home, oh, we know that place. Um, I want us to be so well known for being a welcoming and loving community that when people ask Russ Truby where his place is, he says, oh, it's down by that happy church, Riverside. <laughs> Be filled with gratitude. Oh, don't ever forget what God has done for you. One of my other heroes in the faith, Philip Anjorna, who was, who was our superintendent of the district that I belong to in the Assemblies of God for years. He's retired, but Philip Anjorna, in fact, his sister, uh, Vita Chifo, comes here. Um, but, uh, but, but Philip Anjorno every year he would give a, a, at our annual meeting or conference, he would speak. And there hasn't been a message that I've heard him preach that he doesn't begin by saying, oh, I was an awful sinner. I was a terrible person. I was so far from God. But God saved me. And with tears in his eyes, he always would bring you back to what's most important, folks. Never, ever forget 
what God has done for you. Never, ever take God's grace for granted. Never forget that if God had not done what God did for you by sending his only son into the world to pay the ultimate price for you and for me, that we would still be lost in our sins, that we would still be far from God, that we would still be full of self, full of pride, full of fear, full of hate, full of all the stuff that pulls us down. But thanks be to God, Jesus showed us the way and he has showed you the way. So here's my final wish for you today. Never lose the wonder that the one who made you, who knows you the best, loves you the most. Don't ever lose that wonder. Would you bow your heads with me? Thank you, Jesus, for your blessings. Thank you for all you wish for us and made possible for us. Thank you for showing us what love truly is and how to live a life that matters and make a difference in the world. Thank you that you were familiar with suffering. You were familiar with injustice. You were familiar with pain. You suffered. There's nothing that we've ever been tempted by or everything we've ever done that you have not faced. And so God, who knows us best and loves us most, we just want to open our hearts in this season to you and to your Holy Spirit once more and say, God, fill us with your perspective. Fill us with your eyes and your understanding. Help us, God, to endure and to be patient and to learn through the season in which we're going right now. And God, may we never, ever, ever forget. May we never, ever take for granted your amazing grace. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.